0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with Wendy Johansson, the co-founder and chief product experience officer of Me Uh, We're very excited to have you here today. We're going to be talking about centering identity and equity in health tech research. Thanks for joining us. Awesome.
1: Thanks for having me. Super exciting to uh, be able to talk to other researchers out there about... Uh... How we continue to make research equitable and actual practice uh, from some companies like mine.
0: Awesome. We got JH here too.
2: Yeah, I feel like that uh, description sort of implies that our healthcare system could maybe use some improvement, which feels <laughs> true. So I'm excited to see how we can help do that. Yep. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I heard something the other day about the NPS of healthcare you know, just being it's pretty pretty low. So lots of lots of opportunity for disruption and improvement. So excited to to get into it. So. Uh, Wendy, you've had a career doing all sorts of wonderful things, and uh, they have led you here to to co-found this this company, and I'm curious to hear about what kind of led you uh, to do this and among all the, the other things that you could do. Why me salute? Why right now?
1: Uh I'll start with the why right now. Why right now really came with COVID. Um, You know, with the the stats out there, especially within the United States, if you are Latinx, you were five times more likely to catch COVID than any other American. And once you caught COVID, you were 3x more likely to die uh, from COVID than any other American. And those stats, they're astounding, but they're also not new. Um, Not new, meaning we continue to see that communities like the Latinx community uh, being negatively impacted when it comes to health issues, um, things like the pandemic. And we're seeing it again right now, even with monkeypox. For example, I'm in San Francisco and, and they just released some stats uh, around the fact that I think they said 15 percent of the population in San Francisco is Latinx, but 65 percent plus of the cases of monkeypox are within the Latinx community. So that health inequity continues to show itself over and over again, whether it's diabetes, uh, chronic health issues like hypertension, whatnot. But um, it just became the time and the place to do something about it uh, on, on the kind of outside and then on the kind of internal view for me. I have been working with teams and building companies and teams and products in Guadalajara, Mexico, since 2008. And so I've spent many years living there, many years going back and forth. And at this point, I, they're friends and family to me. So I wanted to bring folks together and actually build something that impacted their friends and family. And so we got together and we started talking about a lot of the different perspectives that my colleagues, uh, product designers, engineers have in mexico about healthcare in the u.s and about the u.s in general everything's supposed to be better here right mm. but in the time that i lived in mexico it was it was incredible how healthcare, even as a privileged tech worker like myself like healthcare is pretty easy it's usually covered uh, very well by my tech companies but when i was sick in mexico i could just go to a nice hospital and get really good care and you know there's no wait time but of course that again was a privilege of my being to, able to afford that um, but coming into the U S for a lot of my colleagues, even as tech workers and, and visitors who have tech jobs, they are just completely blown away by how terrible it is here. Yeah. Some of them have lived in the U S for a couple of months or a couple of years as students or workers, and just being able to get care and suddenly getting like a $700 bill. Cause you walked into urgent care cause your kid was sick. Like that's incredibly shocking. Um, so we got together and decided, let's let's help the people that we know, the people that we're connected to and, and see what good we can do, especially in this time of need where the need continues to surface with all the data around pandemic. And as I mentioned again, like now with monkeypox and all the multitudes of variants that continue coming with COVID.
0: Yeah. And, and so we're, at the time, were you sort of shopping around for an idea of a problem you want to identify and solve? Or was it more, this is a problem? I can help solve it. Let's go start a company.
1: Uh definitely the latter because yeah. at the time I was also working at Amazon, um, doing something kind of like vaguely related. I, I had started the Amazon Apprenticeship Program and uh, it was really focused in on gatekeeping and opening doors for People who didn't have traditional like, oh, you didn't go to University of Washington or Stanford with HCI degree. Like, how do you open the doors into UX? Mm-hmm. Um, and at Amazon, we we did that. But the approach ended up to be folks who didn't even have that advantage of doing a boot camp. People who are coming from, you know, their Amazon warehouse, uh, hourly worker statuses, or coming in from, hey, I've always been interested in design, but I work at a grocery store, or I, I'm interested in design, and the closest I get to it is I, I'm a makeup artist at Sephora. So mm-hmm. people with, with different kind of jobs and livelihoods, but many of them ended up happening to be BIPOC um, and opening those doors. So I would say when I look back at a thread of all the different things I've done, kind of trying to build equitable teams to build better products for the people that use them has been a thread in that. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Nice. Wonderful. The the data you shared is very you know damning and compelling, right? Of three to five x like worse outcomes in these different dimensions. So the problem there feels very like real and acute. But I'd imagine as you try to go figure out like how do we go help and add value and, and try to make some progress on this, probably a lot of research to unpack because it seems like such a multifaceted problem with so many dimensions. Like how do you actually then go from that being like there's a mission here worth doing and there's a problem here we're solving to like how do we actually help and solve it a little bit?
1: Yeah, uh, part of that had to do with the unique model we have at Misalud, um, which I, that's not part of research. So I'm just going to skip over that. But we have a unique <laughs> model that helps solve uh, some of the other data that that exists in the U.S., which is 25% of uh, U.S. Uh, Americans basically are of Hispanic origin. So that doesn't mean they all speak Spanish because you could be first generation, second generation, where you're more English dominant and maybe you speak casually to your parents in Spanish. Uh, I'm exactly that kind of person, but in Chinese, like English is clearly my dominant language, but when I speak to my parents, I speak to them in Chinese and i have pretty good like conversational. And so I see a lot of uh, Latinx folks kind of like my generation who have this exact need where we're still translating for our parents. We're, we're picking up those health bills, those medical bills. We're, we're helping them understand how to make those uh, appointments. And that need, I guess, my understanding empathy for it uh, is is outside the barrier of you know i don't speak spanish to my parents obviously but <laughs> um, being able to have a very relatable empathetic experience of many of us first-gen immigrants we do exactly this for our parents and we'll continue to do it and then we're we're writing this kind of bridge with our generation under us if our children are bilingual or monolingual um, we continue to kind of be that bridge with our elder generation so it it seemed like something that was easy to approach for me uh, because i have that experience but when it came to really understanding a lot more of the nuances of our community in terms of uh, documentation status needing needing different medical needs um, for example one of the things we discovered early on we like any telehealth app, here's a list of symptoms you can come in with, or you're just in pain and tell us the level of pain. Something that actually popped up last fall when we were uh, in our open beta was a lot of folks were coming in, they knew what they had. They said, look, this is just a cold or I've just injured my arm. This is normal because I lift boxes all day. Uh, I just need a medical note from a doctor to excuse me from work. Otherwise I get fired. You and me, we're tech workers don't feel good today let me clear my calendar email some people set my away status on slack all good but when we're talking about our hourly wage workers in the community uh, that largely sits in in that space they actually need a medical note to actually prove you're really sick Um, so that actually became one of our top trends in the winter when a lot of people had colds potentially COVID and needed to come in for that, that quick understandable medical note from somebody who could understand them without having to go stand in line at a local clinic or try to make an appointment with your doctor two weeks later uh, when Mm -hmm. you're not sick anymore. So being able to have access to that in your language with people who were really trying to understand and help you, I think made a big difference um, Mm -hmm. initially. And so a lot of our learnings and how we approached just came from talking to our community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of the early things we did, uh, sorry, I'm monologuing here. I'm just going to go No, you're good. You're good. Yeah, (laughs)
0: keep going. One of the early things you did. Um,
1: Yeah, one of the early things we did was we actually went out and set up booths in, for example, in San Jose, large Latino community. Uh, There are supermarkets and entire malls um, that are Hispanic focused. So There's one called La Tropicana, it's in San Jose, and everything in that mall from the hairstylist, to the gift shop, to the kid's shop, to the giant supermarket there, uh, which is called uh, Tropicana, everything's in Spanish, and when you go there, it really feels like you're in Mexico. Uh, Humorously, basically two blocks down the road, there is the Vietnamese version of that, because San Jose Mm -hmm. also has a large Vietnamese community, Mm -hmm. which is exactly the same, but everything's in Vietnamese. So Mm -hmm. there are these pockets... And so we showed up there we had a booth inside the supermarket on the weekends and we're handing out flyers getting people to come talk to us about me salud. and uh, many folks me salute means my health in spanish so many folks kind of got the idea of what we're doing they're like okay this is in spanish though who are you and what are you doing and we told them you can get free consultations with spanish-speaking doctors like here Mm -hmm. and now right on your phone uh, you don't need insurance. You don't need um, you don't need to prefill any personal information. You can just come in and have a call. And during those situations, we learned, you know, a, a couple of things we already knew about, but really got to get personal with people about, well, can I sign up if you know I don't have an ID? And we're like, what do you mean you don't have an ID? And basically, people started kind of intimating that they're undocumented Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. what's it going to look like if i work with the service and i need a prescription or i need a lab test so we were able to help kind of alleviate those concerns and show them how especially in california you're able to get a lot of this care without uh, identification Um, and then we started learning more about the actual users and the use cases again Mm -hmm. you and i are in tech if we were to design a mobile app yeah sure we're going to design it for you and me we know how to Mm -hmm. download an app we know our email addresses so some of probably the most shocking things for our team early on as lessons learned were uh, when you log in a healthcare app, you need two-factor authentication, email address, SMS code, or email and password and SMS code. Many of the people that we met in the grocery stores who try to sign up would struggle with the first step of, I think I have an email somewhere. Can you help me find it? I can't mm-hmm. remember what the email address is. And we're like, mm-hmm. uh-oh, this is a problem. when mm-hmm. um, then we would have people say, okay, great, now we're on the phone number step, I don't actually know my phone number because I never call anyone. How do I find it on my iPhone? And so mm-hmm. we would actually have to go through all these extra steps of, hey, you're on your phone. Here's how you find out your email. Here's how you find out your phone number. Here is a recommendation of how you create a secure password, uppercase, lowercase number, symbols, et cetera. Um, and honestly, every single person, they just wrote it down on a post-it note and put it in their pocket or their sure, purse. Sure. So yeah. So it's a totally different community of, of uh, tech savviness that we had to kind and- of learn in person.
0: I was going to say, you learned this in person. Was this at the the shopping mall or over time? I'm I'm curious about how much learning and discovery did you do before you launched the app? And obviously Mm -hmm. you're continuing to do a ton since you've launched.
1: Yep. Uh, So we actually didn't do that much learning and discovery before we launched the app. Uh Mm -hmm. Uh, That's always the struggle of a startup. Do you chicken it or do you egg it? Which one goes (laughs) first? So we made a hypothesis. And we built an app that, again, works for you and me, like normal tech savvy level. We put it out there and then when we were in person with folks uh, in the grocery stores, we did this for probably about two months every weekend. And then we also had some partners and and friendlies who ran restaurants in the Bay Area and LA where we're able to go in and offer this to their employees and train their employees about how you install and do these things and answer their questions live. We basically saw the same trend. Um, Mm kind of lower tech savviness, uh, a lot of secondhand phones from the children that were, you know, parental lock is supposed to be for your kids. Uh, right. A lot of people okay. do parental lock and give it to their parents. They're like, <laughs> you're not going to accidentally buy or download stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we learned a lot in person, but I think it was super helpful for us to have an initial hypothesis, have mm-hmm. built out the first version of the app yep. um, and was able to use that in person with people like this was definitely something With the tech savvy level of our uh, community, we wouldn't have been able to paper prototype them or have conversations about it. We'd actually have to see them struggle, seeing how Mm -hmm. people were kind of like poking around their keyboard like, oh, hmm, like, let me go ahead and type this on my phone. One fingered um, folks who continuously dropped their phone because they had arthritis and it was difficult for them to use uh, certain certain uh, keyboards or, you know, certain elements within the app and having to make things super obvious. So I think as a startup, we had to definitely build something to really see the pain that people were going through and utilizing the technology. Um, but also once we did go out there, we just continued to talk to people and continued to observe. And we even had situations where, you know, somebody would come talk to us at the grocery store booth and want to do their health call right then and there. And we're kind of looking around, we're like, you might want a little more private space, Like maybe go to your car and do this and maybe we'll come with you and kind of help you set up and observe and kind of see how even people, because we're on demand as well as scheduled, seeing how people came into the app and would just kind of scroll through like, you know, I'm an older woman in my 50s. Uh, I'm looking for somebody older as well, uh, who's more my mm-hmm. contemporary because I'll trust them more versus you know, younger women in their 20s would say, I definitely want a woman doctor, but I definitely want somebody more my contemporary who's not gonna judge me about the mm. things that are going on with my health. Mm-hmm. So we, it was also interesting to kind of see that, which is very typical in healthcare, but also see how much more it mattered to our community members being able to see like, oh, I'm gonna to talk to Dr. Liz, she's from Mexico City. I'm also from Mexico City, or my mother's also from Mexico City. There's like an affinity there already.
2: You touched on this a little about, like, hey, you know, you're about to have a sensitive conversation, maybe go to the car or something like that. Just more broadly, as you were doing research here, how did you make sure that you were handling, you know, the sensitivity that comes with health information correctly? Like, did you have to get consent, or how are you doing that with people to make sure that um, it was something that was comfortable for people and allowed you to get the insights you needed?
1: Yeah, so everything that we were doing was HIPAA compliance. The, the way the platform was built, uh, we would not involve ourselves when those consultations started. Um, I remember, like, actually, like. Going to somebody, going with somebody to their car, helping them set up and choose the consultation, saying yes to uh, camera and mic permissions. And then they're still there. They're like, oh, no, don't leave. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to close your car door. I don't need to hear this. Like, make sure our team understands the, that boundary of personal health information and where we need to step away. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we also see the same on our customer support side. Uh, you would think it's clear customer support is you know your tech issues. How do I get a subscription? How do I, you know, get get a help if I'm in a different state other than California? Um, instead, coming in through our our helpline a lot is, you know, hey, here's a photo of this condition. Can you tell me what mm-hmm. it is? It's like, oh, no, we don't need <laughs> to see that. So. For example, uh, in our research, we found uh, a lot of folks just wanted to drop in and and have that text conversation right here and then. They don't always wanna be on a video call. They don't always wanna do an audio call, Uh, but a text is a nice, safe place to start for them, to build trust. And we actually ended up launching uh, earlier this year, a, a chat directly with our coaches and doctors. So you can actually start the conversation there and we, our coaches and doctors found that there are many simple things that they can help address. Like, oh, you know, I have this headache or I have this sinus issue. Okay, well, you should go get some over-the-counter and try it for a few days. Come back and let us know if it gets better if, or if it doesn't. Um, but there are just some things where, you know, somebody might be talking about a rash or something. Like, hey, can you just go into the app and actually start a video call? Like, I need to see that. I can't continue uh, texting you about it.
2: Mm-hmm. So there,
1: are, there are different ways to get people comfortable um, with sharing the information and then as you build that trust of you know we're talking about something i visibly have to see can can we do that video uh, telehealth call now and so that was that was kind of the little bridges we had to build of you've heard about the service you can chat with somebody who seems like they're a real doctor you don't know if they are though and then as they continue to kind of diagnose and and work with you you can actually jump into those video calls a lot of our folks actually just start with a video call but there are definitely folks i for whatever reason, privacy, privacy, security, lack of trust, uh, always want to start with chat.
0: Hmm. I'm curious because you have you have what chat, SMS, video, on demand, uh, not on demand, right? All these different sort of modalities of interacting with mm-hmm. care, um, and you the, the on the business side, on the research side, can't be there as you said in the car during the co- like there are moments in the journey. You're not allowed to be there, part of. Mm-hmm. How do you close the gap on that journey and understand where you're improving, where there are opportunities, not being able to sort of be there as part of yep. all of it?
1: Yeah. Uh, that is where we have a unique advantage. So all of our health coaches and doctors work for us full time. So mm-hmm. we're able to have conversations internally with our uh, medical team to really understand what are you seeing and hearing um, when it comes to ease of use. You know, are you seeing a lot of people doing doing that video thing where it's like, no, my finger is like right in the video because I'm <laughs> holding it on my phone. Or um, are you seeing people constantly accidentally dropping off? Um, so in, in the early days, we did see a lot of people accidentally dropping off their calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we learned was, yeah, they're going to tap on that WhatsApp message that's popping in, even though sure. they're in the middle of a video conversation uh, with you. Right. Yeah, right. And once they move to another app, it actually hangs up on the call. So then we had to continue to learn and adjust from there of we keep your call continuously open for two to three extra minutes if you leave the app. And then you can come right back in mm-hmm. and your your uh, doctor is or your coach is still there waiting for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to kind of learn on the go. But it wasn't just experiencing it from talking to people in person, the grocery stores, uh, or actually talking to our coaches and doctors to see how this worked out. Uh, We actually did some dedicated research uh, twice. Uh, I would actually say three times. Uh, Three times within the first year. So the first was me talking to friends, neighbors, and then at some point, I just, I live by a grocery outlet. I live in a heavily Hispanic neighborhood here in San Francisco. I went to grocery outlet and I basically bought $10 gift cards and kind of stood around and said, hey, you're leaving grocery outlet. If you talk to me for five minutes, I will give you this um, $10 gift card. And I would just ask them, like, do you go to the doctor? How do you go to the doctor? Uh, what do you see them for? And having these casual conversations in person, and I was doing it in Spanish in a parking lot. And I think that bought me a lot of credibility because they're looking at me like, why does this not Hispanic person want to talk to me about something? Um, but being able to do that in person, it built credibility. And actually, uh, a couple of the ladies that I did speak to coming out of grocery outlet ended up One of them actually insisted on taking me home with her. And I was like, okay. And uh, it ended up because she wanted me to read her medical bill and help her understand it. But um, (laughs) she actually showed me some of the things that she did have at home. So she had her uh, Amwell, Amwell, which is a big telehealth service, um, sticker on the uh, magnet on the fridge and then she actually had written out directions that one of her children had written out for her like open your phone click on the app that's yellow and blue and then do this and start the consultation make sure it's in spanish and so it was really interesting to see how people uh addressed uh -hmm healthcare and some people who didn't. And what all of this research did for us was it kind of helped us create an axis. And the axis that we did was on the x-axis side, uh, we had basically put the range of English dominant to Spanish dominant and kind of where each user was on the range. And then on our y-axis, we had something called reactive and preventative. So I think you and I are probably more attuned to what preventative care is. We understand the concept. We've grown up with the idea of primary care providers. You do your annual exams as a you know, male and female, and you have those normal things that you go check for, like pap smears, breast cancer, 40 plus, they're pretty common to us. We know this growing up and we're not super attuned to health care. But when we're talking about our community, which has very much been underserved, They go to the emergency room and urgent care when something is super wrong. Like my arm is bleeding. I've been out of work for four days now. Like this is really bad. I need to go see someone. And so once they go there, it's very much a reactive condition of there's something wrong with me right now, but they never address the preventative because it's expensive. uh, It's out of reach. Maybe it's not in their language or they just don't know how to with either the insurance they do or do not have or in, in the locations they are. So it becomes this, this axis that we ended up seeing on this quadrant. A lot of people were sitting up on the reactive side. And mm. then, so when we took a look at what we would need to build based on reactive and looking at other telehealth platforms, those telehealth platforms are for the usual. Like I use One Medical, uh, I guess now Amazon. Um, <laughs> and with One Medical, I just go in and everything's geared towards, are you here for your annual exam? Refill a prescription, a cold, a pain, um, or, you know, did you receive some sort of viral infection or anything else going on? Or do you need vaccines? Mm-hmm. And so those are my options when I go to one medical. But what we need us to do to really encourage a less reactive and more preventive shift in mentality is when you go into our app now, you can see everything from big to small. Your chronic health conditions, medications, whatnot. But also you can come in for something as simple as allergies, Like, my nose is runny all the time. I don't think it's COVID. I think I have allergies. Like, I didn't know I can treat and prescribe for that. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of folks that we've talked to don't know that they have allergy medicine that actually resolves, you know, the itchy, watery eyes. Uh, They hadn't ever thought to talk to somebody about that because it wasn't that big of an issue. It's just, no, that's just something I live with. And so being able to offer this range of topics all the way down to you're just... You're just in pain. You don't know what it is. You don't have to know what it is. It's our job to know what it is. Uh, you just have a pain. Give us your pain scale and come talk to somebody, and then we'll go figure it out together.
0: It sounds a little bit there like you're actually trying to um, uh, be interested to hear your the vision, the mission for your company in your own words, but trying to actually change behavior, not necessarily to meet A stated need, right? Um, I have Mm -hmm. a a bleeding arm, and I want to get back to work. And we're going to make that easy for you. But also, we think this would be in the best interest of the community we're trying to serve if we made, you know, brought up some awareness here and made it easier for them. Is that is that the case? And is that part of your your sort of mission? Yeah.
1: Yeah, our mission is to help the community. Evolve kind of their current understanding of health whether it is on the more mature side You're already in preventive care because you've always had a great salary job and great health insurance or if you're kind of new uh, To health care maybe even new to the u.s. And and you need to figure out how am I supposed to get care for these things? so we want to offer that range and, and Meet people where they are and slowly educate them forward, right? And I we right, think right. that's incredibly important back to the original stats of You know, diabetes, hypertension, all of that is super pervasive within the community. Uh, Especially if you're Latinx, you you have a lot more chance of getting diabetes in your lifetime than uh, an average American. So how do we change those habits from the beginning? And so uh, I have mentioned health coach a couple of times, but haven't clarified that. So we actually um, have the model where we do work with health coaches. So our health coaches are actually uh, licensed physicians in Mexico um, because this model for us wouldn't work because the U.S. has one single problem, which is 25% Hispanic, 6% and less of doctors actually speak mm-hmm. Spanish. So there's no way that we'll ever close mm-hmm. that gap. And so we have to look for folks who can meet them where they are in terms of language. And that for us resulted in uh, hiring Latam physicians who are licensed in in their countries and working with our US based, in this case California based patients, uh, as health coaches. We call them health coaches, coach they salute, because, you know, they're clearly not licensed in the US, so they're not going to be doing uh, medical diagnoses. But we're seeing about 75% of people coming in with situations that can be addressed with, you know, take some over-the-counter medication, uh, improve your diet or your sleep or your habits in this way. Uh, We also offer mental health services. So when people come in, and there's a big stigma still with the community when it comes to mental health, nobody's gonna come in and actually say, I need mental health help. Um, But they do resonate with seeing, hey, I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm really nervous mm-hmm. about things all the time. I'm super stressed out by work. I'm having relationship issues. Those are typically signs and symptoms where we can bring them into a mental health conversation with our mental health coaches, who in a similar way are fully licensed psychologists in uh, Latin America and they, they chat with our um, our patients here as mental health coaches. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it when we think of coaching also we're thinking of lifestyle medicine, which is let's help you build healthier habits to change that. Like you can manage your diabetes uh, and help lower your A1C level for diabetes with better habits in eating, in, in sleeping, and in exercise. I'm not saying, oh, you can make your diabetes disappear without medicine, but you can help manage it and make it much more manageable and, and livable um, in, in, certain, in certain modalities with health coaching.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Nice, It's clever. You, you mentioned earlier about, um, in the dynamic of wanting a doctor or a health professional that has, you know, some commonalities with your identity, right? So maybe age Mm -hmm. or background or, you know, where they're from, um, and that being really important to building that trust and feeling comfortable. And then you also kind of called out when you were grabbing people outside that supermarket and kind of earning credibility because you knew Spanish and and were there and and being honest about it. Like, what would your advice be to researchers who are, you know, doing research with a population that has a different identity? a different identity than themselves and is maybe talking about sensitive stuff. Like, how do you build that rapport and build trust in in those types of situations?
1: Yeah. One of the things that really worked for me, even though I spoke Spanish initially, people were super wary. I actually had one lady say to me within the first, like, two or three uh, sentences of our conversation, do you work for the government? Are you just here (laughs) to find out if I'm documented? And I was like, whoa, like, okay, I need to back up and find a, a new way to approach it. And so um, one of the things that I I found helpful was just to really start with talking to folks about like, hey, so I used to work in this company in Mexico. And during that time, like I've been all over Mexico and clearly, you know, you're also Mexican. Like, where are you from? And somebody might tell me something like, oh, I'm from Cuernavaca. I was like, awesome. I've actually been to the the mines in Cuernavaca and start talking to them and really trying to build something relational right there. Or I might try to really cue in on, they're walking out of grocery outlet, what have they bought, okay, she's clearly here and she's gonna make enchiladas tonight. So let me talk about enchiladas with her um, and, and ask her for her her besto matio recipe. And so it's really gonna be situational. And I think at core, when I look at my teams and talk about research, I'm looking for somebody who has curiosity and empathy and and can lead those conversations, but also they can read the room, they can read the situation and they know how to redirect that. And I think that's Mm -hmm. probably just as important um, as being able to be scripted and prepared because you can have everything kind of checklisted out for you, but until you walk into the real situation where I was incredibly taken aback by, are you with the government? Like, let me see your ID. And I was like, I, I will happily show you my ID. You don't need to show me anything. Like, I'm just a, like, weird, normal person who just wants to talk about healthcare in Spanish with you in a, in a parking lot. Um, and, and so it's, it's reading those situations and how to approach that. I certainly had several people turn me down. I'm not saying I was successfully talking to every single person I tried to stop. Um, and I would say what I noticed is, uh, several things. Women wanted to talk to me more men, just in general. We also noticed this throughout all of our, our research men just didn't want to talk about health. They're like, yeah, I don't, I'm not worried about that. Like. My mom takes care of it, or my wife takes care of it, and then somebody schedules for me. It makes me wonder about the young single men who aren't living with their <laughs> their moms because <laughs> who's taking care of it for you um, but basically women want to talk to me more, and then so we also put together uh, small groups where we we had some of our male colleagues go out, and yeah, men talk to them more, so you have mm-hmm. to you have to kind of see and meet people who at where they are and with who they are, and kind of the mentality
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you talked a little bit before about the importance of building equitable teams. Uh, What does that look like at your current company? How have you you worked to do that?
1: Yeah, so our current team, uh, we are a bilingual app and service, so Mm -hmm. everybody has to speak Spanish and English. So that's that's a start. Mm -hmm. Um, A large portion, because I have uh, worked in Mexico in tech for a long time, uh, a large portion of our engineering and design team, they are coming from uh, Guadalajara or Mexico City and what we have found super interesting um, and this is this is not because we tried to this just happens so to turn out this way is a lot of our engineers are married to doctors <laughs> so their partners are doctors and so they come in with not only an affinity of like, oh yeah, my aunt, she lives in Los Angeles and this is totally going to be helpful for her, but also like, oh, but my partner is an ophthalmologist or a surgeon or a pedi- pediatrician and would be really interesting um, to bring them in this model because I hear from them about how the platforms they use when they're doing telehealth are incredibly painful. Mm. Uh, it's not helping the right people and, and all these other things. So they're already coming in with the things they've heard from their partner of like, oh, I have ideas about how these platforms work. Uh, as Mm -hmm. we continue to build them so that's been really interesting Um, but on the equitable side uh, a lot of what i intend to continue hiring we are a startup um, this is the economy that is the current economy Mm -hmm. so as we continue to grow and scale what i would like to do is continue to hire more folks with that lived experience in the u.s Mm -hmm. so our head of marketing and growth he is latino he moved here from mexico uh, 20 years ago and one of the first things I saw in his resume when we had a conversation and interview was, hey, you went to the University of Guadalajara. That's really exciting. Like, I've given lectures there on UX. And so like, I totally know that school. It's so awesome that you went there. And he told me as as a Latino living in L.A. and having been a professional here uh, for so many years, he's like, you're the first person who's actually seen my having a degree in Mexico as a positive. Mm. Everybody else is like, I've never heard of that school. It's not a U.S. school. Like, mm. you know, your education doesn't count. So Trying to find people with the lived experiences and and the journey that, that they have is incredibly important because they can lend a lot more to us that helps us get ahead of the research, helps us get ahead of the uh, what's coming next. Um, so, for example, I know his father is probably one of our uh, early uh, promoters, he he was always coming in the platform and uh, he would always tell us how happy his dad was uh, utilizing Misalud, but he would actually have to do the same thing, which was I had to set up the app for my dad, get mm-hmm. all the way in the call and then hand it off and walk away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yep. You um you touched on it a little, but like the reality it feels like of our system or healthcare in general at the moment is that the people working in healthcare, the doctors and everyone else, and also have kind of a tough time with some of these platforms and the way the system works and then you know, the people yeah. who want care and it's kind of this unfortunate mismatch. Um, are you also doing research with people like the providers on the platform and getting their input and stuff? And how do you do that? Cause mm-hmm. it feels a little different, right? You can't just go to a supermarket and find doctors who are yeah. using your apps. Are you, are you going out to them in a different way? And what, what sort of stuff do you hear from them?
1: Yeah, so we actually, before we started building the platform, we had several advisors and investors who were doctors, our doctors, I guess. And we actually asked them for their experiences on other telehealth platforms. Of course, they're all confidential. So some of them were able to just kind of tell us about things that were useful and others uh, would kind of point out, you know, things that were missing that made their life pain. Um, So that kind of gave us our first initial uh, ideation on, you know, what the other platforms look like out there. And then the next step we had was because we have all the coaches and doctors that work for us, we actually just set up regular, uh, it's on the calendar. Uh, we just rotate through the staff and just go in and basically I'll call in as a fake patient. Mm -hmm. And then the design team is on zoom screen, share with them, looking at them in the doctor portal and just observing, almost ethnography, except we can't really be in their environment. Everybody's still kind of remote and COVID-y. So we just kind of see how they use the platform. Like I'll actually just go through some of our uh, fake health conditions and talk through it with them and just kind of seeing interesting things like, hey, we noticed that when you were screen sharing, like you made your window really small. Why do you do that? And they're like, oh. Because I have a Google doc over here of the over-the-counter uh, medications that are available in the U.S., and I want to be able to look at that list when I realize that you had an allergy. So what can I tell her is over-the-counter she can pick up? So they're like, I just made the window smaller so that I had another window with the medication list over here. And we're like, interesting. So we should build that into the app rather than having you like squeeze the window and kind of have the video view that we're all having of like parts of our faces. Right, um, right, right. So able to really see them utilize it in this kind of realish way, uh, while also hearing from our coaches and doctors, the types of, I guess, types of questions that they're also hearing from the patients in terms of, okay, what's next? Like, where do I see that prescription in the app for somebody who's not super uh, tech fluent? Like, okay, so after this call ends, it's on the bottom of the screen we are thinking about things like, are there ways for us to be able to have push notifications that the coach or the doctor can trigger so that the user has an easier time? Like, okay, you get the push notification. Prescription's ready, tap on this. It's gonna deep link you into the app on where pres- where your prescription and pharmacy is. So mm-hmm. being able to do things a little more manual that. If you think push notification, you would never think that we should allow coaches and doctors to have that power, <laughs> but we're thinking that could be really interesting because they can really help the patient complete their health journey in, in that situation by offering that kind of deep linking or call out through push notification. Yeah, especially so, for of an ideas. audience
0: that's having, you know, some challenges with tech, just tap, tap and um, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: but you... it's not just the patients. I'll throw out one other thing. The coaches yeah. and
0: doctors, they're not tech workers. They're not tech-savvy,
1: so this is also something where we have to meet them. And the way I like to think about it is our goal should be to develop an invisible layer of technology that just helps two people get together and improve their health. Uh, so in the back end, our technology should not be in the forefront blocking anybody. It shouldn't be difficult to navigate. And one of the things that we've learned in talking to uh, my co-founder, he's also a ex-surgeon, is everything in our current medical system today, when you go to the doctor or the hospital, it was built for billing your insurance. It wasn't built for your care, Aaron, or your care, JH. It, it was built for how do I line item every single thing I just did here when I give you a vaccine from opening uh, the needle package to disposing the needle to disposing uh, the vaccine uh, little vial and then even putting a Band-Aid on you. Everything is line item so I can bill your insurance for it. It's not built for the doctor to say, hey, this is going to give me the most holistic care for Erin so I can help mm-hmm. her uh, into the future, manage what vaccine she needs to take uh, when she travels to whatever country. It was built just to make money. Yeah. And so one of the things I would like to have uh, continue to have pride in as we go forward is we don't work with insurance. Many of our community, they're underinsured anyway. So we would rather just build something that helps enable the doctor and patient care, and not worry about how we're making money. Of course, that is a privilege we have as a venture-funded startup. Um, But that's something that we'll we'll continue growing to and and figuring out as we go along. Like, one day we'll work with billers and payers, but that is not today. And Mm -hmm. today, everything we've built is for that doctor and coach to speak to that patient and have a holistic view about their care if they keep coming in with the same symptoms.
0: Yeah. I'm curious, along the lines of how do you monetize eventually, which is a problem for tomorrow. Is a great BC-backed, you know, company as you mentioned. But you talked about the matrix earlier, right? Of you have the matrix of sort of Spanish English fluency, and then mm-hmm. the reactive, uh, sort of preventative. Um, and we've talked a lot about, from what I gather, more the the Spanish speaking uh, reactive, and maybe lower on the sort of uh, economic sort of scale as well. Do you have many customers outside of that customers that uh would be willing to pay that speak a lot of english Mm -hmm. that are more preventative kind of on the other side of things and and if so how are you serving them at the same time as Mm -hmm. as these other customers
1: yeah and that that's always going to be a a fun a fun situation for us to consider as we build forward is exactly what basically any other designer has to deal with is how do I build for the pro user and how do I build for the new user? And in that case, that's basically the same mentality. New user being lower tech pro user being like, just get me in that consultation video call. Like I don't need to worry about all this other stuff. So uh, we do have users like that. And actually um, one segment of that group is super interesting. It is actually tech workers in Mexico. So Mm. we actually offer our service to companies in Mexico. Uh, and they tend to be tech companies because a lot of their employees travel to the U S and maybe when you're in the U S you get food poisoning, uh, mm-hmm. and then you want to call a doctor, but you're, you're, you're not from the U S how do you actually get care? And so we offer me salute for that, um, for that contingency as well. And it has been super useful for them, but it's also, uh, something that we continue to, to consider is, how do we research and kind of balance their needs? So for example, when it comes to our lower tech savvy um, patients, they come in and they do their username, password, and then their two-factor authentication. When it comes to our more tech savvy users, they want to use their Google or their Facebook or their whatever single sign on and just get it over with mm-hmm. um, and, and have that ease of use. And so we do see people come in and continue to sign up through their Google off. It's like, nope, this time you use your work email. Nope, that time you use your personal email. <laughs> and now you have two different medical records. Like right. how do we help you merge those? So those are things that we're learning uh, from our users is when they sign up, for example, uh, one of these Mexican tech companies, they all signed up with their work email because you're enrolling and you're enrolling through your company. But then when they all came in to actually do their uh, mental health consultations or health consultations, they use their personal email. And then we we realized there was kind of this mental mental gap for them of just like, yeah, I don't want to log in with my work email because I didn't want my work to somehow access this. And we're like, they wouldn't access this. So even if you're tech savvy and you kind of understand the system, we right. find that people are still concerned about security and privacy of information. Um, they're to put it this way, and, and righteously so, because I'll use this word because I feel this way, I'm paranoid about where my health information goes, especially as a woman in this uh day age. uh in this post in yep. right now. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. So so I'm I would have those same concerns as I want to use that one private personal email and not have anything linked to my uh my my work emails, even though work pays for my insurance. Right. Right.
0: Well, forward looking, what are you, um, you know, you have a mission and your early days in in your app and you've got some users and some research and moving forward. What are you excited about? What do you hope to sort of contribute to health tech?
1: Well, there's probably two things I'm I'm most excited about contributing to as we continue to grow and get more uh, patient information and we can kind of drop that in a mega data lake and anonymize it. The nobody's ever actually come out with a Hispanic health index report. Hmm. Nobody's actually come out with with a wide range of information about, for example, Hispanics in California and what conditions we're seeing, how we can continue to improve care. And, and if we can measurably have made change through m- uh, shifting the mindset and mental model towards more preventative rather than reactive and what that looks like. I would love to, over time, have data to be able to show that, improve that and and interest other practitioners in that kind of model of, you know, we're not just here to be reactive and solve people's problems, but how do we actually take a preventative measure forward and kind of change the mentality of how, how doctors approach their patients and, and help them with everything beyond the right now issue that you're trying to build for. So I would love to be able to one day provide a report that shows that this works and have folks be able to approach communities this way. Um, and then on the other side, uh, I am incredibly excited about our opportunity to reach out to large employers, uh, of large, uh, Latinx employees. So, for example, there's a lot of agriculture in Florida. Uh, that happens and i would love to work with those employers to offer something to their employees rather than hey i'm going to give you something like kaiser but you have to pay 1300 dollars a month yourself for it Mm -hmm. so being able Mm -hmm. to offer something a little more low cost um, that's much more accessible and culturally appropriate to the care that people need i think that's going to be something that hopefully translates well when it comes as an offering from an employer not just Right now we're kind of B2C and you can find us in an app store, you can find us at the grocery store. Uh, but if we can work with these employers who are offering something that that can actually shift and impact their employees health and, you know, of course, to the to the employers, their productivity. I think that is a positive add that it becomes a norm that your employer should be offering services that meet you at where you are.
0: Wendy, what did we miss? Any- <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what, do, you want, what I, do you want our listeners to know?
1: Well, uh, I'll point this out. I realize that I, I've talked a lot less in deep uh, dive about research and how we do it. And, you know, we're, we're touching on people. But I think the important takeaway here is we didn't approach this as a research project. We really wanted to understand our community. And when you approach, in particular, underserved communities and, and you're trying to do research with them, you have to really meet them where they are. We wouldn't have succeeded with one of our studies, which was based off D Scout, because with D Scout, all of the people we talked on there, they were already on D Scout, ready to get compensated and ready to use the technology to have a conversation with us. That would have, if we had only run with that D Scout study, which we ran, we would have assumed everybody was tech savvy and we would have just built that forever. Right. You have to actually meet people where they are. Like, do the real ethnography. Go to the places that people are living in the environments they're they're doing the things you need them to do, and get to know them and build that trust. You don't need to talk to 200 of the people. Honestly, I I've only been in five people's homes at this point who invited me to come help them or learn more, mostly help them. Uh, <laughs> but those relationships live on. They're all in my neighborhood, and these ladies still call me, and I'm like, I'm. I'm traveling a bit. Just take a picture of the letter for me, and I'll tell you what it says. Um, So I I think I've kind of pseudo-gotten adopted because I also get a ton of tamales all the time on my doorstep (laughs) because of that. Um, But meet people where they are and and just be real, and you could actually build really great relationships that extend beyond the research. And for me, I'll I'll continue reaching out to the ladies in my neighborhood because they're ones that I want to talk to when we build a diabetes program and when we build, you know, a menopause program. So. I think these are these are relationships worth considering beyond the, here's the interview, we're done.
2: Yeah. Totally. You know, I thought what really came through in the way you spoke to all this was you had so many examples of like a thing you learned and something you could improve as a result of it that just felt so tangible. And I think sometimes, as you kind of flag, some people, when they come to the research, they lean into telling all about the methodology or the tool or whatever, which is also interesting and important, but um, really cool to hear the stories of we found the right people in the right situation and we learned this sort of nuanced thing and we fixed it. And I think that's really the reason for doing it in the first place. So it's great to hear those stories.
1: Exactly. Work with your designers. In our case, all our designers are also researchers. So we kind of have that hybrid, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. uh, if you have dedicated research teams, get close to your designers, figure out how you can actually ideate solutions that will meet the people with Mm -hmm. what they need.
0: And we'll also uh, post your LinkedIn and Twitter. So anyone listening with medical bill questions can just ask you directly, (laughs) Wendy, because I know that's your new side hustle. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: I'll trade for tamales. I'll translate for tamales. All right. Sounds
0: good. Thanks for joining us, Wendy. It's been great to
1: have you. All right. Have a good one.